well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I hope you're having a a good week, getting ready for a good Easter weekend. I have uh, been off the past couple of days, but, you know, I had to come back. I just miss the show. Miss you guys. Miss talking about uh, Second Amendment news. And it's been a busy week, even though I have been off for the past couple of days. A lot of talk on uh, Capitol Hill about uh, Democrats trying to bring a uh, vote on a gun ban to the floor of the House, even though the Republicans are in control of the House, and that vote probably wouldn't go anywhere, but they are uh, hoping to force a discharge petition to bring a gun ban, again, onto the House floor. Um, not convinced we're going to see a similar vote in the Senate. I mean, Chris Murphy, Senator from Connecticut, has said that the votes aren't there in the Democrat-controlled Senate for a ban on so-called assaultments, but this is still a top priority, not only for many Democrats, but obviously for uh, gun control groups out there as well. Um, And so we're going to be talking about this on the show today. Before we do, though, uh, let me mention this. In today's turbulent times, you need to gather tools that allow you to defend your family and the way of life that you know and love. And my friends over at Pickett's Mill Armory are the folks that can help you with that. Pickett's Mill Armory is a veteran-owned and operated rifle company in Georgia. They're committed to providing you rifles with premium quality without the premium price tag. Their mission is to build you a rifle that gives you every advantage possible with 100% American-made components. Whether you need a tactical rifle or a hunting rifle, they have your back. And you don't have to settle for just as good anymore because they've solved that problem for you. You don't have to buy a rifle and then buy parts to swap out. When you purchase your rifles from PMArmory.com, they come out of the box with high-quality barrels, superior triggers, and other options that you can choose. When you think of Pickett's Mill Armory, think of small batch coffee. They're not going to compromise their standards to turn out thousands of rifles every month like many of the other companies out there. So head over to PMArmory.com to find the tools you need to defend your family right now. That's PMArmory.com. And since we're talking about those uh, scary black rifles today, I thought, who better to talk about this issue than the founder of Pickett's Mill Armory? Uh, Dan Waldron, and I'm very pleased that Dan agreed to uh, come on the show. I got to tell you, this is not this is not coming from the sales team. I reached out to Dan. I said, Dan, can you come on the show and talk about this? Because I think Dan's got a really interesting background in both military and law enforcement. And I think his perspective is uh, important when we uh, hear Democratic politicians, anti-gun activists proclaim, nobody needs these guns, when we're talking about the most commonly sold rifle in the country. So we're going to talk about this with uh, Dan Waldron of Pickett's Mill Armory. Take a look and a listen. Dan, thanks so much for coming on the program, sir. It's great to, uh, to have you here today. Oh, man, it's great to be here. I appreciate you reaching out. Absolutely. So so let's talk a little bit about... Um, What's going on right now? You know, there is this uh, huge push from Joe Biden on down to ban modern sporting rifles, uh, looking at, you know, state level bans in Washington state likely to pass. You've got uh, court challenges going on in Illinois and a lot of other states. And in Congress, uh, again, I mean, Democrats are trying to bring a gun ban to the floor of the House. I I don't know if they're going to be successful, and I certainly don't think it's going to pass with Republicans in control. But, you know, I'm curious, Dan, I mean, you hear all of the demonization about uh, AR style rifles. And, and what is your response? I mean, as somebody with a background in military and law enforcement, when you hear that only Dan, you're one of the few people in this country that Democrats say should be able to own an AR. <laughs> yeah, I what know. Is, it's, what, what's your reaction to all of this? Well, it, it's it's crazy, first of all, right? Um, the most common firearm in use in the United States right now. And uh, 
that's something that they want to look at trying to ban. Um, I always have to go back to the practical side where I think if we follow the law, it's a non-starter. And I really think that a lot of this is a, a feel-good move for the president and the Democratic Party. Um, but, you know, I think several years ago, people did not think that Obama was going to get as far as he did. So I always have that concern in the back of my mind when these issues come up. Well, I think you're right. Um, and you go back, you know, uh, to the Obama era and, uh, you know, we, we laugh and we talk about Obama was the, uh, the, the, you know, firearms salesman of the year, maybe not the, if not the decade, right. Gun sales just right. soared because I mean, look, it's, I, I think that's actually a, a fairly um, common sense reaction, right? When we're told, Hey, we're going to ban this item. Um, a lot of us say, okay, well, we're going to go buy one, right? And not as a short-term rental, but if you want to take this from me, well, I'm going to I'm going to go out and buy one either uh, because I want to make a political point or because now all of a sudden you've interested me uh, in, in these uh, firearms. And I start looking and I say, you know what, this, this is going to be a good option for me. Um, what have, what have, what has the industry been like over the past couple of years? Obviously we know what it was like during Obama and in 2020, I call it the great gun run of 2020 when it seemed like, uh, you know, everybody, certainly a lot of people in my friend circle who weren't gun owners decided, you know what, I'm going to become a gun owner this year. What, what has uh, what has this been like the past couple of years as far as just, you know, your business and, and the industry's response to these uh, to these threats? Um, you know, it's been varied um, right after. It's actually really interesting. If you like the business aspect, um, the lead up to covid, all of these different companies had certain. Um, certain allotments that they were making, they were they were making sure that they had certain stock amounts. And then as soon as the COVID rush started and everybody had money, nobody had any parts or anything on the shelves. You had uh, you had manufacturers that could not meet quotas. They could not meet purchase orders. And um, that was. I think 2020 was probably worse than. Um, the lead up to um, Hillary and uh, Donald Trump and the Obama years. You know, I think that that one spurt, that spurt lasted a year. Yeah. And it was absolute insanity. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, and it was, it was, you know, gun makers like yourself, it was, you know, ammo companies all of a sudden, you know, oh, <laughs> we, we, we burned through. I think I was talking to, uh, I think it was one of the guys from Hornady and they said they went through, uh, about, I think it was like almost a year's worth of ammo supply in about six weeks. I mean, it was just, you know, people were just buying up everything. Have things started to kind of return to some semblance of normality on the business side? Yeah. So what happened was everybody began to ramp up. So then there was an overabundance of supply when that cash started to dry up. And then we went through that span where you could go online and find rifles for 400 bucks. You know, mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, when a lot of these companies do that sort of thing, it's looking around the warehouse and putting things together with the remaining parts that they have. And um, but it's definitely slowed down quite a bit. And I think we're falling back into the standard um, supply and demand that we experienced prior to 2020. I think you're right. I took a look at the uh, the latest Knicks numbers from uh, National Shooting Sports Foundation earlier this week, and you know, I, I mean, I got to say, the if, if this is the new normal, quote unquote, 
um, it's a it's a pretty good normal, right? I think 44 straight months of 1 million plus uh, firearm sales across the country. And this is something, again, that anti-gun activists, they just don't, I don't think they can recognize this, that there are tens of millions of Americans who uh, embrace our right to keep and bear arms. Um, not because we love our guns more than we love our children, not because we don't care about violent crime, because we do care about our kids. We care about our families. We care about our communities. We want the people that we love to be safe and protected. Yeah, it's actually funny. I'm pro-choice. I choose to allow my family to have firearms for the next several generations. And if we don't step forward and, and continue the fight and um, all of those sorts of things, then um, it's all for naught. And it, it's like we spoke about the other day where it may not necessarily be about you and I. But it's about my grandchildren and their grandchildren to be able to choose for themselves. And that's why I think a lot of this is so important. You know, yeah. I really think the big thing is, is we need to when we control the conservatives, control the House and the Senate, we need to keep our foot on the gas instead of resting on our laurels. And I think that that's one thing that's really hurt us over the last 10 years. Well, I think you're right. I mean, and it's it's been a challenge in Congress because, you know, when you've had complete control of of uh, both chambers of the legislature, um, you know, again, it's finding that 60 votes. Right. And it's 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 kind of a double edged sword. It's prevented Democrats from uh, enacting their gun bans, but it's also prevented things like, you know, right to carry reciprocity uh, from passing, you know, things that I think are real common sense measures that, as you say, would be major improvements. Um, thankfully, at the state level, I think we are seeing progress. I mean, uh, Pickett's Mill Armory, you guys are based out of Georgia, right? Yes, sir. So you got constitutional carry uh, signed into law last year, right? Georgia is a, a pretty – I mean, I, I have to say at this point, Georgia is a very uh, two-way friendly state, not only for gun owners, but but for the firearms industry as well. I mean, uh, what, what, is, what is that environment like in Georgia where you are operating in a state where the right to keep your arms is respected and it is treated as a fundamental right? You know, I think one of the biggest things that you see is when you deal with uh, with law enforcement officers and stuff like that. A lot of these guys down here, they seem to be very well versed. So, you know, let's say there's an issue and an officer, you have a firearm in the car. The running joke is as well, you know, as long as you're not interested in pulling it out, I really don't care that you have it. You know, it's, yeah. it's really. It, you know, it's almost like something that you would expect to see in Alaska, where you have dangerous game and all these other things where, um, you know, the like I said, the law enforcement officers here have just become used to it. They're they're up to date on it. Um, there's an organization here called Georgia Carry that came out several years ago, and they were actually conducting classes at the police departments. Oh, really? You know, yeah, they did. It was great. And, um, you know, it just it just reinforced what the officers knew. Mm -hmm. And um, as they went around, you could see that there was a a change. And then when the legislation changed. Um, and, you know, with the speed of social media as well, a lot of these guys became much more well versed. Right. Fairly quickly. Yeah. 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 And, um, 
Yeah, it's been fantastic. And as far as the business side goes, um, Georgia is a very business friendly state in general. So we haven't had any really, really big issues. Um, thankfully, we have um, um, Clyde from Clyde's Armory. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. Representative know. Andrew Clyde. Yeah. 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 So when you have people like that that are advocating for you, they advocate for business in the state. Um, you know, it's really good for us overall. It's a good place to be as a firearms business owner. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, that's good to hear. And, you know, I, I wish that that were the case in all 50 states, honestly. Um, you know, but unfortunately, I mean, we've seen you know, major manufacturers leave Gun Valley, you know, these uh, historic locations in Connecticut and Massachusetts because it's just become untenable uh, to do business in those states. So I'm glad that that you don't have to deal with that. But again, as you say, this this fight isn't just for us, right? We're fighting for our kids and for our grandkids' rights. And this is a fundamental right that we're talking about. Uh, the, the the right to keep and bear arms um, is not a non-entity. It's not an anachronism. When when you hear, Dan, people say, uh, well, why, why can't we just ban these guns? Wouldn't, wouldn't we be better off if we just, you know, got rid of AR-15s and we all went back to, I don't know, lever action rifles, maybe bolt action rifles? What What is your, obviously as a business owner, you think it's a bad idea, but but, you know, given your experience and your background in military and law enforcement, I'm curious, I mean, what do you think would happen? What would the practical aspect or the practical reality be if we banned, quote unquote, assault weapons tomorrow? Wow, that's tough. Um, obviously, people would be up in arms about it, you know, because one of the big things as any individual, you just don't want to be told that you can't do something. You know, that's the first thing we've become. um we're free people here. I mean, when people come from other countries and they see the way that we move around and, and we do the things that we do, um, you know, they've become used to that type of freedom. And when somebody steps in and says, no, nah, I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to do that anymore. You know, that's going to be a large, large issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but fortunately for us, I really don't see it as one that we're going to see anytime soon. Um, I'm, I'm with you. I I, I I I am with you. I mean, again, certainly the state level, you know, you're seeing things like Illinois where uh, you've got, I think in their assault weapons ban, you had uh, a year basically to register your gun with the state or else you become a criminal. Um, the uh, gun ban legislation in Washington state, I believe has a grandfather provision at the moment. But again, we know that those disappear, right? You're allowed to keep them until all of a sudden you're not. Um right. But the the, you know, knock at the door, we're coming for your gun confiscation. I I'm with you. I don't see that as a let's put it this way. If that ever becomes a realistic possibility, that's not the only thing we're going to have to worry about. Right. That That's a sign that things have gone completely sideways in this country. And there are going to be a lot of other things uh, that are going along with that. Um, right now, I think the real argument is is. A, getting people to get on the other side to recognize, even if you hate these guns, they're not going away. Uh, they are, as you say, the most popular rifle in the country right now. There are tens of millions of these uh, modern sporting rifles in the hands of law-abiding civilians. They're not used in a lot of crime, right? The FBI says uh, more murders are committed every year with fists and feet than with rifles of any kind. So I'm not sure what the what the benefit would be from a public safety perspective of banning these firearms. And you hit on something really important just a couple of minutes ago when you talked about what Georgia Kerry did going to police departments. 
it seems to me, Dan, like there are, I, first of all, I don't buy the idea that there's nothing we can do to stop school shootings. There's nothing we can do to stop violent crime. I think there's a lot of things we can do. I just don't think they involve banning guns or stripping us of a fundamental right. Um, when you talk about that sort of collaborative approach between two A groups and police departments, see, what do you think about the idea of uh, community involvement? Um, you know, if you see something, say something. We just saw this uh, apparently a school shooting plot disrupted in Colorado because somebody found out about it and they told the authorities. Is that a more effective way? What or, or, or are there more effective ways, uh, in your opinion, to improve public safety without trying to turn tens of millions of Americans into felons for possessing their firearms? Yeah, I definitely think that there's ways that you can do that. Um, from from several different perspectives, right? Number one, education is always good. You're never, ever going to go wrong, you know, when you work on educating the population about stuff like that. Um, people need to have an understanding. There's reasons why we don't prop doors open at schools, okay? Um, one of the things that I'm a real big proponent of, and I haven't seen very many schools you know, very many schools do is um, controlled access in the front of the school. You know, if you think about it, if the school is controlled access all the way around the perimeter, um, they're not going to have any real issues. If you try and come in the front door of one of those schools and it's too, you know, basically you'd come in the door, there'd be a vestibule there with somebody at a window that's actually got to let you in. Mm -hmm. That buys an incredible amount of time. If you know anything about breaching doors and breaching windows and, you know, that type of heavy gauge glass, it is going to take an exceptionally long time. You know, you could have the all, all the kids locked down in no time, just like they did in Nashville. You know, Nashville, that school, they didn't have a whole lot of warning, but those hallways were a ghost town. Yeah. You know, when you could see the video. Yeah. Um. But the I think when you when you get together, I think the big thing is um, people have to be receptive. OK, if a, if an advocacy group like uh, Georgia Carey wants to wants to speak to you or come to your school or come to your your homeowners association meeting, you have to be open to that for that to work. Yeah, and, no, that's true. Um, I think it's a slow move. I think we have to get there. Um, because the there, there's not going to be a ban anytime soon. There's just not. And as far as the ATF and local police departments go, I'll tell you a funny story. I have a I have a very good friend of mine that works for the ATF, and um, they had a meeting about the the pistol brace rule, mm -hmm. and they were actually they were actually scolded for laughing at the meeting. Because they all the ages knew that it was such a preposterous thing that they just thought it was humorous that Washington D.C. would would put something out like that. Well, I'm glad to hear them laughing. Uh, let, let's hope that uh, that that you know says something about uh, enforcement or the lack of enforcement with these new rules. We'll see how the uh, the legal challenges to the pistol brace rule uh, uh, you know fare in court, but. You know, again, I mean, and that's the sad thing, Dan, is that we are seeing, I think, laughable uh, attempts at, you know, 
public safety um, by aiming at legal gun owners, by aiming at people who aren't going to commit violent crimes, by aiming at, you know, firearms, inanimate objects that aren't going to pull the trigger by themselves. Um, that to me, I think is where I, I think we're entirely off base here where, when we talk about well, if we just ban this gun over here or if we, uh, you know, make it impossible for uh, anybody under the age of 21 to, uh, to exercise their Second Amendment rights. All of these scattershot approaches, not only are they offensive to our fundamental rights, but again, they're aimed in the wrong direction. Right. I mean, if we're trying to fight violent crime, well, we got to go after violent criminals. If we're trying to stop school shooters and we need to do a much better job of identifying those individuals before uh, they pose an active threat to students or staff. And we can do these things. But when you've got, you know, Shannon Watts or Joe Biden, uh, you know, yammering about the need to ban guns, that takes us in the wrong direction. It's a distraction from the things that actually do work. I agree with you. And um the biggest thing in my mind is we have to do those things. We have to see something and say something without creating a surveillance state. Yep. Um, and that that's a that's a very careful, you know, very careful line that we have to watch. But um, you know, I, I think we can both agree that mental illness in the United States is is what leads all of this. Um, there are people that have political ideation that, you know, pushes them that way. But the reality is, is these people are mentally ill and they are, they are not identified. Um, and quite frankly, I think a lot of these people, their family just choose to look the other way because it's the path of least resistance. And, um, you know, if yeah. their families would be more involved, I think a lot of these things would just solve themselves. You know, I, I think you're right. I mean, you, when you start looking at almost every one of these active shooters, um, there are these, you know, glaring warning signs, right? In, in, in at least in hindsight. Um, and all too often, you're right. You hear even family members say, yeah, we were, we were uh, concerned, but we didn't think that they would be violent. We didn't think that they were, you know, a danger to themselves or others. Um, in some cases, you know, even these uh, individuals who are being treated, uh, they're, uh, you know, psychotherapists or they're psychiatrists. So, well, you know, we just didn't think it really rose to that occasion. You're right. These aren't these aren't necessarily simple uh, uh, solutions. And you do have to worry about, you know, the rise of a surveillance state. Right. You don't want the uh, the solution to be uh, even more problematic than the problem you're trying to solve. Um, but I think, you know, too, I think we've got a mental health crisis in this country. I think when folks are are in acute need of care and look, listen, most people who suffer mental illness are never going to go out and commit a violent crime. They're never going to shoot up a school. Um, but when folks are in crisis, I mean, I live in Virginia and our mental health system is terrible. Governor Glenn Youngkin's trying to fix it, but we've got cases. I'm friends with my local sheriff and you know, there are deputies. I live in rural Virginia, so staffing's already kind of an issue. But there are cases where deputies are sitting in an ER for 24 hours uh, waiting with a patient because they don't have a bed for them. We've got people who are, you know, in jail because, again, we don't have the mental health space for them. And so that's what we do. We put them in jail for a couple of days until a bed opens up. I, you know, and, and I see all of these institutional problems, all these very serious issues. And again, I roll my eyes at the thought of, well, let's just ban guns. 
that does nothing other than, again, turn people into criminals. We're not fixing these serious issues in the mental health system, in the criminal justice system. I mean, every day on this program, I've got a story called the Recidivist Report where somebody with, you know, a repeat offender gets another slap on the wrist. Uh, we've got a we'll be talking about it later today. A 19 year old who was on probation for a stolen gun. Pleads guilty to, to robbery, uh, you know, of a convenience store and is probably going to walk away with probation again. You know, there there are so many fundamental things that we can do without trying to infringe on the on the Second Amendment rights of others. Um, and I, I'm glad to know that you and I are on the same page here. I'm also uh, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm I'm very pleased that we've got a, uh, a Second Amendment advocate like yourself uh, in this space using his voice, um, not only to stand up for our rights, but as you say for the rights of our kids and our grandkids generations to come. I appreciate that, Cam. And I'll tell you this too, you know, I think a lot of the citizens and members of the community would be shocked if they found the number of police officers and even ATF agents that are pro second amendment. I really think that they would be surprised. And I I think that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing, too. Listen, I, I know just, I mean, from my personal experience, but I've also seen uh, uh, surveys. I think it was the National Association of Chiefs of Police did a survey a few years ago. Massive support uh, for the Second Amendment. Um, you know, now that brings us into a uh, topic. Maybe maybe we'll have you back to talk about, you know, what right. we can do to, to help encourage those rank and file uh, folks to to use their voice when they can. I mean, again, sometimes it's difficult to do so, but uh you know, I as much as uh, we've got a lot of challenges right now, uh, the Bruin decision didn't solve everything. Heller didn't solve everything. The courts aren't going to solve everything. But as somebody who's been, you know, a, a, in the two way world for coming up on 20 years, I can tell you, I think our rights are more secure uh, than they were two decades ago. I think we are making substantial progress. But as you say, we just got to keep our foot on the gas. Yeah, 100 percent. We need to keep our foot on the gas when the conservatives control the House, the Senate, you know, um, the White House, that we need to be putting these things in place to preserve those rights. You know, and that's somewhat where I feel we're being outmaneuvered. And um, I think if we could rectify that stuff, um, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, the fight is going to continue. And uh, Dan, I hope that this is not going to be the last time we have the uh, opportunity to hang out on Cam and Company. I'd love to have you back and talk more about some of the issues that uh, we didn't really have a chance to delve into today. Will you do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Hey, I did too. And listen, I I would be remiss. I mean, as long as I've got you here, I I told our audience, um, I reached out to you. This was not a, uh, this is not an infomercial for uh, Pickett's Mill Armory, but I do want to ask you because I think this is I'm always curious how people got into their business or how they became a gun owner. So can you tell me a little bit of the backstory of Pickett's Mill Armory? Yeah, so I got out of I, I served in Third Ranger Battalion in the the end of the 90s. And um I got out, I joined the police department. Uh there was five other guys from my unit that joined the same department. Oh wow. Yeah, within the same year. So I came up to the metro Atlanta area and started to work. Um, And it's funny, while I was in the service, I was really into, I was in weapon squad, I was into machine guns. 
And I really liked the mechanical side of things. And it got to the point where the squad leader would call me the professor. So if there was a problem with the machine gun, he would go ask the professor. And I was a <laughs> private. Um, so, you know, fast forward a couple of years, I decided to go over to Iraq and I did security work over there for three years and then came back to the police department. And um, I had some things go on in my life. And um, a lot of people know that police officers work side jobs. And I'm sitting at this side job at nine o'clock at night thinking there's got to be a smarter way to do this. And I'll tell you, Cam, the next day I had a friend reach out to me and he says, hey, what do you think about selling some gun parts? You know, just to, for some extra pocket money. I said, yeah, that's fine. And I saw some of the pricing and whatnot. So I started to sell them. And then I went out and I sold my car so I could buy inventory. So wow. I, sold, I sold my car, I, I bought inventory, and I started to roll. And then I just stayed ahead of the market, you know. Um, and this actually all happened during the aftermath of Sandy Hook, which is horrible. Yeah. Um, but the, the funny part was I was I did not realize that the wave that I was seeing was due to Sandy Hook. Because okay. I wasn't. I wasn't associated with the firearms industry at that point. Right. And um, yeah, it took off. And then at one point we were the, the number one seller of rifle barrels on Amazon. Wow. And then Amazon took us off. Yeah. I was going to say, I remember those days <laughs> back when you could still get parts on Amazon. Um, yeah. That's amazing. And here you are uh, a decade later, Pickers Mill Armory yep. still going strong. Yep, yep, we're still plugging away. Well, we have great rifles for people. Absolutely, hundred percent American-made components, right? You betcha. I love to hear that. Um, well, again, uh, pmarmory.com is the website. Uh, Dan Waldron is the guy behind PM Armory. And uh, Dan, again, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. And and I hope we do get a chance to to pick up the conversation again very soon. It was my pleasure, and I like I said, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I appreciate your time. Again, I really appreciate uh, Dan spending some time with us today, and I do encourage you to check out uh, PMArmory.com. Let's turn our attention now to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We'll start there with a, a case out of Ohio where police say a 19-year-old man caught with a loaded rifle while he was on probation has uh, pleaded guilty to the robbery of a Speedway convenience store, Dakara uh, Dracara Hines of uh, Strongville, Ohio, ended up taking a guilty plea to reduce charges of robbery as well as improper handling of a firearm in a motor vehicle. Now, the robbery occurred last August. Uh, there was a traffic stop a month later, back on September 11th, when um, police discovered Hines uh, in the car with possession of a, a loaded rifle. He was arrested and taken to uh, uh, the Medina County Jail. He was on probation at the time for theft of a firearm. Yeah, in September of 2021. Also, had previously been arrested for a series of thefts from cars in November of 2021. Police say he has prior arrests for drug offenses as well. But what's really disturbing here is that you've got a guy who two years ago was found in possession of a stolen firearm. Uh, excuse me, arrested for the theft of a firearm, right? And what happened to Mr. Hines? A slap on the wrist. 
probation. Then when he was caught again in possession of a firearm, this one uh, doesn't say whether or not it was stolen, whether or not it was legally purchased. Doesn't sound like he was eligible to legally purchase it. Once again, charges are reduced. Another slap on the wrist. Um, and this time around, the uh, 19-year-old, again, pleads guilty to reduced charges. We don't know, actually, what his sentence is. So I'm guessing that the sentencing date uh, has not uh, taken place yet. But I would be shocked if Trakara Hines uh, ends up being sentenced to really any amount of prison time for this repeat offense involving a firearm. Today's uh, Armed Citizen story from South Carolina, where a uh, judge has ruled that a man acted in self-defense when he shot and killed his attacker in Surfside Beach. Uh, now, the state's uh, stand-your-ground law uh, is implicated in this decision. This came out of Horry County, South Carolina, and this is a case that's a couple of years old. Uh, Anijah uh, Robert Yarnell is the individual who um, originally was charged in this shooting. Uh, but a, a court has granted a motion for immunity, uh, deciding that uh, Yarnell acted in self-defense when he shot and killed Michael Pennington III in a, a parking lot of the Maddington Place Apartments. Uh, Yarnell shot at Pennington after Pennington allegedly approached Yarnell's vehicle, tried to get inside, and then punched Yarnell through a partially rolled down window, according to this immunity order. The order states that Yarnell was in his vehicle during the entire argument, including when the gun was fired. There were uh, finger and palm print analysis along with witness testimony that indicated Pennington grabbed the door handle and tried to open Yarnell's car door. Pennington also allegedly threatened, uh, shouted threatening words at Yarnell, which were heard by a witness who was on the phone with Yarnell at the time, as well as another woman who was in the parking lot. Um, according to the order, quote, Yarnell had done nothing to Pennington to provoke Pennington's attack on him while Yarnell was in his vehicle. Yarnell was not at fault in bringing on the attack. Court said that Yarnell, quote, believed that he was in imminent danger of losing his life or sustaining serious bodily injury, and that he was actually in such imminent danger during the physical attack on him by Pennington. Court found that Yarnell was not engaged in any unlawful activity, believed that he was in imminent danger, and he uh, had the right to act in self-defense. Pennington, meanwhile, had no right to enter Yarnell's vehicle or assault him, uh, which means that Yarnell met all of the requirements for acting in self-defense under South Carolina law. Uh, and again... All of these charges were dropped against Mr. Yarnell because he was acting in self-defense. Uh, finally today, our good deed of the day from Phoenix, Arizona, in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, a retired firefighter who saw the smoke uh, in his neighborhood, ran towards that smoke and discovered a home uh, fully engulfed. You can see the uh, aftermath of that blaze in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. There were two children Inside the home, when uh, Dana Lambert arrived on the scene, he said the neighbors are screaming. There were two girls inside. He said there were propane tanks blowing up on the right side of the house. I mean, it was a scary situation. Uh, he saw these two girls, one age seven, one 13, trapped in the house. He was able to get them out. Uh, but he said one of the girls wanted to get her puppy. So we went back and we got her puppy. Uh, Phoenix fire crews worked with the uh, retired firefighter in search and fire control efforts. Um, firefighters able to put out the blaze before it sped to other homes, uh, but unfortunately, the house was a total loss. Uh, Dana Lambert says the family very scared. Their home is destroyed. The parents aren't there. He says when mom comes or the aunt comes, he says it's a deep moment for me, too. It makes you cry because it feels good that they're safe. Absolutely. This is a um, 
challenging situation, to say the least, for the family. Um, but thankfully, the loss of property, the loss of your stuff, as difficult as it can be, is nothing compared to the loss of losing a child. And I'm very glad that this family did not have to go through that, thanks to the quick thinking of Dana Lambert there in Phoenix, Arizona, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. And we thank him for his very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I do want to thank you for being a part of the program as well. I hope that you do have a great Easter weekend. I'm looking forward to being back uh, full time, five days next week. Well, four days for Cam and Company, five days of the website. And uh, don't forget to check out BearingArms.com throughout the weekend. If you like what you see, I'd always encourage you to become a VIP member as well. Just go to BearingArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS. And you can get a significant saving on your VIP membership. As our way of saying thanks for showing your support, we're going to give you exclusive content. New stories, analysis, opinions you won't find anywhere else. Because your support does matter. And it really does make a difference. So thank you again. Looking forward to being back with you on Monday. Until then, be well. Be safe. Be free.